0: Welcome to the show where we unearth new ways of looking at ever-evolving life around the world, seen from a number of different industries, cultures, and backgrounds. But there's one thing that unites everyone I speak to. They all want to do their part to make the world better in their own unique ways. It's a uniting passion. Whether they're from the commercial world, third sector, or public sector, from the global north or the global south, my name is Philippa White and welcome to Tie Unearth. Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of Thai Unearthed. Today, I'm speaking with my friend, Juliana Xavier, director of brand management at Yada International, with more than 15 years of international experience in brand, marketing, design, and employee engagement. And we'll be talking about responsibly feeding the world and protecting the planet. After more than 10 years working as an account executive in advertising for brands such as PepsiCo and P&G, she took an unexpected move to Oslo, Norway for love. And with that came the opportunity to start new. With a great passion for ideas and their power to engage people and inspire change, Juliana wanted to use her communication skills to do work that could have a positive impact and contribute to a better future. Today at Yara, a global crop nutrition company, she works every day to raise awareness on the impact the way we produce food today has on the climate, how agriculture is as much a big part of the problem as it is an essential part of the solution, and how Yara is working to live up to its mission to responsibly feed the world and protect the planet. We'll be talking about everything from digital farming tools to improve the efficiency and sustainability of food production to the hope Juliana finds in the many innovations, investments and partnerships happening today to tackle the greatest challenge of our time, climate change. So grab that favorite beverage or throw on those running shoes and enjoy this chat with Juliana. Hi, Juliana. It is so wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Really nice to be here, Philippa. I'm so excited. It's great. So tell, uh, tell me, you are where right now? I'm in Oslo right now. Yes, all the way up in Norway. So we go way back
0: um, and have lots in common. Uh, we were put in touch by Senta, who is a very good friend of both of ours. And that was so many years ago now. We both worked at Leo Burnett. Um, You're Brazilian and I live in Brazil. (laughs) Uh, And yet we just, I think what connected us and the reason why we've just been so um, in contact so much over all of these years is our joint desire to want to make the world a better place. And we've been doing that in our own unique ways um, over the last numerous years. So talk to us about your background. Talk to us about um, how you got to Norway. We'll talk about what you're doing in a second. But just, yeah, talk to us a bit about you and how you got to where you're
1: at. Sure. Well, it's it's quite a whiny road. (laughs) Definitely not a straight line. And... I mean, I don't know how far you want me to go, but uh, I I ended up where I am, but it's sort of like never in a million years I would have imagined that I would, you know, be living in Norway today, was never in the plans and even doing what I'm doing and working where I'm working. When I left, uh, well, when I You know had to apply for university and all that i wanted to be a diplomat so i actually started international relations which has nothing to do with advertising marketing or communication Um, but i got very quickly um, well very quickly i realized that my idea of diplomacy and that world was very idealized I did finish the course because I I liked the subject uh, and you know it's and there is actually a lot from that that I use to this date I think that is relevant. But I decided okay this is not really where where I want to make a, a career because it's not quite what I had expected. Well, coming from Brazil, we probably understand why that was the turn is because I realized that if I wanted to be a diplomat for Brazil, it was going to be a very massive process. And as the diplomat, you serve the government that is on, you know, it's like you're not chosen by the government. So you just imagine if I had, you Conserve know, pursued Served senado. Yes. Yeah, Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um I and and then it really happened advertising happened completely by chance and it was part of a crisis really because I had finished university had gone through a breakup I was completely lost I didn't know what I was going to do left was and I had a cousin that happened to be working at Amap video which is part of one of the biggest network of agencies at the time and they needed someone to just cover for someone that was going to be on holidays and I I took it you know and and then I stayed. I really enjoyed it because I like design and, and film and communication and, and all that was there for me. And, and the good thing with, with uh, uh, BBDO, uh, map BBDO, is that being an international network, I could go abroad. So I went and I did an internship at BBDO in London and I really liked it and I decided, okay, I want to go back. So eventually I did move to, to London to study and it was supposed to be like a three months thing. But then I got the job at Leo Burnett's and and that's how that took me there. But five years later, I started getting a little bit, um, you know, impatient as well because, oh my God, I'm using all this to sell, you know, soda and because uh, I used to work with Pepsi uh the account it just kind of didn't feel right then when I moved to Lebanon, I started working f- with PNG and it was always on 10 in fact I yeah, think that's, I, we both that's, worked on always. <laughs> that's another I didn't have that on the list of things that we have in common but don't, and I adore I mean I
0: personally adored working on that account for so many reasons and I don't want to steal your thunder but yes like, yeah amazing that's yeah
1: so for a while, that was like, OK, now I feel I'm actually, you know, doing something great here because after all women doing it, the tampons, <laughs> the sanitary pads.
0: And the difference but... between the, the cultural differences of how women around the world deal with men- menstruation exactly. like that, I found so eye opening. So, yeah.
1: absolutely Yeah. And yeah. So 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 that was that was great. But and you know, I think it's after five years, more or less, I was just like, OK, what is the next move? So I was ready to. Try something else. And uh, I, I honestly, also that's also when I came across your work because Leo Brunel was one of the first ones, if not the first one, the first that one. Uh, worked yeah. with Ty. And I helped Chris with his uh, fundraising so he could go. I think he was the first one. Or was... Yeah, he was the first one. He was yeah. the first ever one. Chris Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, who was that? I don't remember who went after that. And then we I put together... Yeah, it was Ed, and we, I have put together a carnival party at the Uber Nature Race Funds yes. for him to go. So, uh, and I, then I was like, wow, this is it sort of like, he started, got me thinking again, you know, like, oh, is that like a better way to, to do all this? And then eventually what happened really was that I met Jacob, who I'm with until uh, now, He's, he happens to be Swedish and he was living in Oslo. So at some point, it was just sort of like the perfect time because I was already looking for a move. So I ended up taking the leap. Okay, let's go to Oslo and see what happens. So that's, that's how I ended up where I am today. And you're a surfer, just a, a really sort of as an aside. You do surf, don't you? I, 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 well, I try. I cannot claim that because if Jacob or any of my friends who really surf <laughs> listen, listen to, to this, they're just going to laugh. But I I try, I try, and I have actually served in Norway as as well, which is a a massive achievement for a Brazilian. So now talk to us about Yara and what you're doing now. Yeah, so Yara, well, Yara is a company that has its origins in, in Norway. Therefore, the headquarters are here. And I think for me, I need to go a little bit back to the history because most of your listeners are not going to know Yara, not going to know this. And, and it's, it's quite cool actually because it connects to where we are today. So Yara had three founders, and one of them, Christian Birkeland, he was a scientist, a Norwegian scientist, who was really into sort of like understanding the Northern Lights. And he did a lot of the theories that he had at the time. He was ridiculized, but later on is then accepted and were sort of like quite breakthrough for some of the stuff that we understand today about the magnetic field and, and so on. But uh, one of the things that uh, he discovered was how we could capture nitrogen from the air and that, through that process, create a uh, make fertilizer. And this happened, it was like 1905 and Europe was going through big famine crisis. People were going hungry. And it, the, uh, the farmers were not able to produce enough food. So, so it was a really breakthrough uh, innovation at the time. And this is really where the whole agriculture evolution started. Uh, most people attribute that to, I think it's a, a German that came afterwards that developed a new way to produce fertilizer, which is the way we produce today. It's called the Bosch. But the breakthrough that it's possible and figuring out how to do that capture of nitrogen and making fertilizer uh, was Christian uh, Birkland, who is one of the founders of uh, Yara. Now, it's more than 100 years now, and obviously a lot has uh, changed uh, since then. And today, Yara is a lot more than a, f- a fertilizer company. We, and we can, I can talk a little bit more about that. But that's that's where it all started. Do you want to talk a bit more about what else Yara
0: does just to kind of put it into perspective? Yes. Just so that people can understand. Yeah, so
1: absolutely. So it started there and today Yara works with more than 20 million farmers worldwide. And through the work that, and, and, and that connection with the farmers is obviously you have the fertilizer product, but there is a lot of agronomic knowledge exchange. We have uh, a network of agronomists that engage with the farmers and help them uh, identify the best crop nutrition plans for uh, for their crops we work with uh, we have now expanded into digital solutions so that we can actually digitize that knowledge and scale it up because you can't have you know uh, millions of agronomists everywhere but you can digitize that knowledge and make it available in the form of the digital applications. As one example, the other types of digital applications that we do. And that work today helps feed, we calculate that our work today with the farmers helps feed about 262 million people in the world. And it's connected with the mission and the vision of the company. And I think that's very special for Yada. So if you ask any employee, In the company they will be able to quote the mission and the vision without thinking so responsibly feed the world and protect the the planet that's the mission and the vision is that uh, of a collaborative society a world without hunger and a planet respected because we think that no one can tackle these issues alone and so we need collaboration and that's really the core of everything that guides the company moving forward so I know that
0: getting messages of Yara out to the public is actually kind of hard. Like you internally are so busy and obviously you say that everybody within the company knows the mission and the vision. But I know that you, you mentioned that agronomists, for example, in, even in Norway, they don't even know a lot of what Yara is doing. And also we know that food and climate change are very connected, aren't they? Your industry contrib- yeah your industry contributes to it uh, but also is greatly affected by it so obviously it's in your best interest to to get that under control I'm just really keen to know what should people know and I'm aware that this is like hugely loaded there's tons that you can talk about. But hit us with some of this information, because I just think what if an agronomist is listening to this, what should they know about YADA? If the general person is listening to this, they've, they've read the, um, the IPCC report. They're freaking out, understandably, about mm-hmm. big business. You know, it's not about talk anymore. It's about doing. You know, there's so much there. Um, and I'll probably start picking things to try and sort of help unearth this. But talk to us about
1: it. Yeah. So I'll try to let's see how I can organize this in, in in a structured way. So you're absolutely right. the The way we have been producing food has come at a tremendous cost to the world and the environment and the climate. So whereas uh, Christian Birkeland's in breakthrough was really important to tackle the famine situation in Europe at that time and to be able to produce enough food to feed the world today, the, the way it evolved and how the modern Current agricultural system and food system operates is not sustainable. So it's sort of like we, it, it, yeah, it just went into uh, a direction that is well. Today agriculture is, if I'm not uh, mistaken, responsible for twenty percent of the total greenhouse gas emissions uh, in the world. To add complexity, is that people need to eat. So it's not like it's going okay. Let's produce less food. No. In fact, uh, uh, the UN projects that we're going to hit 9.8 billion people in in the world by 2050, and to be able to feed that people, we need to double uh, the uh, amount of food that we produce. And I think that is taken into consideration as well that we are not wasting food, because part of the problem is that there is a lot of waste mm-hmm. in the way that the value chain works. So... Yes, agriculture is a big part of the problem, but it's also because of that part of the solution. And, and what is interesting is that the farmers are also really impacted by what is happening, right? Because, I mean, this year, for example, Brazil had, I think, one of the most severe winters they ever had, if not... It's the t- totally, I mean, in the south,
0: it's snowed um, and it uh, is yeah. minus. Uh, here, actually, the northeast of Brazil, I've never seen this amount of rain. It's just raining constantly, constantly. Hasn't
1: stopped for a month. Yeah, so, so the impact of that, and this is, uh, it, 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 it's happening right now. The impact of that is that many coffee farmers in Brazil, and Brazil is the uh, biggest uh, exporter of coffee. Many coffee farmers have lost their their crops this uh, their harvest this year and that will have an impact uh, on the price of coffee in the world as well so so it's like a domino effect so some of that we, we can help farmers with some of that because for example we have digital solutions that help them uh, anticipate some of the weather uh, patterns so that they can plan their their harvest and the nutrition, the crop nutrition plan and all that. But of course, not everything, you know, because, uh, and that's the other thing, farming used to be a lot based on knowledge that was passed on from generation to generation. It's a very sort of like family type of business. And, And that, you know, trail of knowledge is being broken because of climate change, because you know it's the new. patterns that existed yeah. in the in the past don't happen anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's interesting because you know it's contributing to the problem, it's being impacted by the problem, and it has the potential to be a big part of the solution. So back to to my question then: If you were
0: talking to a, uh, an agronomist, what would you tell them about what Yada is doing to help decrease the
1: impact on climate change through what you're doing? You know, farmers, they are very different across the world and they have very different concerns. Uh, There's uh, more farmers today also looking at regenerative agriculture and organic is also uh, getting a lot of uh, attention. And, but the, the more traditional farmer and you know, a farmer in Brazil or in the US or Europe, especially in Europe, they will get hit uh, by regulation. You know, Europe just uh, released their Green Deal, you know, and their targets for how they are going to meet their commitments to the climate agreement. And, and that is putting pressure on farmers because they will need to show that they are using less amount of fertilizer and there will be more regulation limiting what type of uh, fertilizers they can use. And, you know, what is the impact of what they are doing? So, for example, one of the things we... Uh, we are working on so many different fr- fronts, but we recently... This year, we launched an initiative called the Agro Carbon Alliance. Uh, it's a system to help farmers, to create a marketplace for farmers that uh, can produce food with less CO2. And so they can get CO2 credits or carbon credits And then they can use that in sort of like a carbon marketplace. Uh, And and that's the way to recognize that farmer for having a more sustainable agricultural practice. Because the farmer today does not get a premium for harvesting or cultivating land in a way that is better for the environment. There is no incentive to a farmer to do that. And it's often more expensive today to do it that way uh, as well. So how do you respond to that? Because actually it's interesting. One of the organizations that
0: we work with in Brazil, uh, Iricambi, uh and we did a podcast with Binka, who's the co-founder of a good few months ago now. And it was actually one of the projects that we worked on in January with Thai Accelerator for the last 30 years. I mean, their mission is how to keep trees in the ground. So and, and how to incentivize landowners, farmers that, to keep the, the trees in the ground because the, we as a, a population need the trees in the ground for obvious reasons. but what is the incentive for a landowner? How can they make money having trees in the ground because they would rather sell or, or, or plant coffee or sugarcane or you know, whatever else they, they need to put. Uh, to plant, to be able to make a living. How does YADA respond to this? In the sense that on one hand, you're a fertilizer company, or actually you're a chemical company, and actually that's another question that I have, but you're a chemical company, but you work with fertilizers. And we know that the chemicals, also the food production, contributes to the issues that we face on on a global scale from a climate change point of view. But at the same time, obviously, the farmers are impacted by that. So it's in Yara's best interest for those, those impacts to be decreased. But there's no incentives for the farmers. How, does Yara have a, have a responsibility in this? Is Yara on the front foot? Um, how, how do you respond? How do you respond if there's no incentives, but yet you're aware that for the future of our planet, but for the future of the, these farmers, things need to get better? And then and actually just to sort of just to touch on that as well, because also as as a general, just a sort of normal person on the ground looking at big business, reading the IPCC report, it freaks me out. And it's freaking out a lot of other people that really it's it is big business that is causing this. And it really is only big business that can stop it. And we have no more time for talk. So we have no more time for, for okay, well, we should try this. And yes, it would be good to do this. How is Yara leading the way? How is Yara responding to this? And how do you respond to criticisms?
1: Yeah. No, that's a really good question. And I'm, I'm, I hope I remember all the parts of that so I can <laughs> respond. But um, it is really complex because... You know, for us, it always starts with the farmer and we want to make it, you know, the farmer is in the end, the center customer uh, for us. But we're all into this sort of like larger uh, system, which is the food system. So we also work with food companies. But one of the things we're looking at now is organic fertilizer that can be made from waste that is from using the fertilizer. So you take the waste from from the soil, from the water, from, you know, from the body chain, and then you use that to make new fertilizer that is organic. But also advising the farmers to uh, use good and precision technique for farming. So, for example, one one misconception many people have, and I probably had the same misconception before I started working for Yara, that they tend to put fertilizer and uh, pesticides, pesticides, everything sort of like in, in the same bucket. And, and and they are not, you know. Pesticide is a chemical that you spray on the plant to kill a pest or something, you know. To But uh, fertilizer is a nutrient that the crop needs to grow healthy. So it's put on the soil and then the crop absorbs that nutrient from the soil and, and it grows with good quality and, and you have a good harvest. Uh, now, of course, depending on the type of practice you have, if you put too much, if you do too much monoculture, you know, you can deplete the soil from those nutrients and then you become, you know, every, every time you have to put more and more and more. If you put too much fertilizer, then you can also create uh, leakage. So then you have runoffs to water and you have runoffs to, to the soil and, and, and pollution. But uh, we have, there are ways that you can, for example, say exactly how much the crop needs and and solutions to be able to to apply exactly just how much that soil needs. In fact, and this is something I didn't know, it was the agronomist Zinada that told me that at some point the curve, when you're putting fertilizer or doing sort of a crop nutrition program on on, uh, on a crop, is that... It's it's sort of like a curve that at some point it starts going down. So you, you put much, 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 and then it becomes too much, and the effect is actually the opposite of what you want. So that type of education with the farmer as well uh, is, is important. But some of the, the solutions we develop and we try to work with the farmers is you know like using less, putting it to grow more. So uh, in fact, so like being able to grow the same amount that you would be, you would grow if you had to, you know, cut down those trees. But you actually can just grow as much with one third of, of the land, you know, and with one third of the water, for example. If I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, I actually worked on a project where the, the crop nutrition program we had developed was making, I don't remember now if it was citrus plants or coffee plants, healthier. So that's, the farmers didn't have to use the pesticides. So you can do that with crop nutrition program. That's just, but it's just so many, Philip, I don't, I could go on No, before. I know. There's so many moving parts. I think
0: when you started, when you talked about the founder of Yara in 1905 and how he had discovered this incredible way to, to grow food at scale, and that feels like it was quite a revolutionary thing at the time. And I kind of feel like we are almost back to that stage in the world again, in the sense that that was a very pivotal moment, but also quite a revolutionary invention. Uh, and that obviously created the success of Yada and where Yada then went to. It feels like we need something else like that now. And I guess my question is when Yada is doing the projections for the future, you know, by 2050, okay, we're gonna have double the amount of food. and And when we also do the projections around climate change, so where the world is gonna be, how much we need to decrease as far as emissions, the agricultural industry is contributing 20%. So therefore, We are going to decrease by however much so that we can ensure that our our contribution is decreased. Are those conversations being had? And are those, because I can imagine this is an amazing opportunity for anybody who's wanting to find the next innovative solution to the agricultural industry. Do you feel, as someone who is as concerned about all of this as I am, do you feel... Like those conversations are happening, and that those solutions are being found.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and you know what's? I was smiling when you were saying. You know, I feel like we're back to Christian Birkland. and it, it's it's funny because as I told you, you know, like he found a way to separate the nitrogen from the air, and then some came Harbin Bosch, which is the way we produce fertilizer today. The way we produce fertilizer today requires natural gas, so that means it releases a lot of uh, CO2. From that 20% that I told you, which is the contribution of agriculture to greenhouse gas emissions, about 4% comes from the production of uh, fertilizer. 40% comes from deforestation, which is connected to the organization you work with. So they're right, you know, stopping deforestation is really, really uh, important. But 4%, comes from the production of fertilizer. So when Birkland found a way to capture nitrogen from the air to make fertilizer, they used hydropower, which is a renewable energy source. So we are actually now working uh, on projects to retrofit our plants. So that we have one in Norway here in Poshkrum, so that we can produce fertilizer the way it was produced before at that time, there are it's more complicated than that. But yes. basically, the result of that is actually producing green fertilizer or fertilizer without CO two uh, emissions. And it's funny because it's actually going back to how it used to be oh, back then. The problem with that and the reason why we don't do it that way before is because it's really costly. It's really, really it, it costs a lot of money to do it that way. And and then it sort of like connects to the question you had asked me before as well, you know, yes, big, you know, businesses, they really need to lead the way here, but there's only so much that business can do and influence consumers and and their own stakeholders. We need regulation. We need the government, yeah. you know, because the government can also create the necessary environment for certain things to flourish. Yeah. So in this case, for example, to be able to make a green fertilizer business model possible. I mean, it's not feasible for Yara to do that. I mean, it's The cost is so high that we wouldn't be able to just pass it on and dilute it in the value chain. It yes. would end up with a product on the shelf that would be too expensive for the uh, end consumer to, to buy. So you need support from the government to invest in, 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 in those projects until they become You know, uh, viable. Another thing that would be interesting to see is um, a CO2 label on food and products that we find on the shelves of the supermarket. So like, for example, when you buy your granola or your muesli or your loaf of bread, just as you can see the nutritional values on the back of the packaging, that you could also see the carbon footprint of that product and that would obviously help consumers to make more informed choices when it comes to the climate impact of what they are buying and consuming that is a lot more transparent than green labels for example yeah and are those are those conversations happening Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, and here, and, uh, well, we work very closely with them. We yes. have several, and we work very closely with NURAT, which is the development agency, the Norwegian Development Agency. And we also work with the, uh, with others in the private sector and with organizations as well, like the World Food Program, uh, the WWF. So we, we partner with them and, um, one, one thing, we work with the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, which is a council of business focused yeah. on what business can do to uh, uh, for sustainable devel- development. So yeah, we, the conversations are happening, absolutely.
0: I've got so many other questions for you. We're coming to the end of this. I wanted to ask you so many things about other projects that you've worked on with Yara over the years um, that's impacting the world and we just don't really have time. So we might have to get you on another podcast, but I I feel like there are, what what does give you hope? What keeps you up at night worrying, but what gives you hope?
1: And I was discussing this with Jacob yesterday and, you know, what keeps me up at night is my kids, literally, (laughs) (laughs) because they literally do not let me sleep. (laughs) <laughs> but also because it always goes back to, you know, what is the world that they're going to inherit it, yeah. uh, from us. It was weird when when Lucas was born, uh, he was born in 2016, February 2016. So that's when Trump became the president. And it's also when Brexit happened. And I remember I was on maternity leave at, at the time and I was following all this and waking up, to the news that Trump had won. And I literally started crying and I was breastfeeding and I was just telling him, I'm so sorry I brought you to this world because I don't know what is going to happen. It was such sort of like a primal response to the whole thing, but it's sort of like, really, I just could see that we were going to lose so much time, you know, and and then after that, the year after that, it was brazil <laughs> didn't get much better but on the other hand they also give me hope because these new the, the younger generation they don't know a world without climate change you know they they're not questioning it anymore and uh, that's that's the reality they know it's a lot more real for them so i think that the barriers for them to do what needs to to be done is a lot lower. And like, I, I doubt Lucas and 80s are ever going to drive a fossil fuel car. Uh, and I wonder if they're even going to eat real meat, you know, because there's so much going on in, in synthetic food. And so I think, you know, there's so much innovation. I read the other day, I think it was in the New York Times, that uh, last year, the businesses and the inventions and the startups that got the most investment from investment funds and, and the investors community were related to innovation that can tackle climate change. And, and that is a massive shift. So yeah. and it, that is really, really positive. I would love to know if there's anything that
0: I haven't asked you. I did, you know, we've we've had a conversation, obviously a few conversations before this, and there were a few things that you, that we we talked about. And I I don't know if you've touched on everything in this yet. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you or that you haven't said that you think is just really important for the listeners to understand?
1: Oh, it's uh, difficult. There's so much. I know. I mean, we're Uh -uh. scratching the surface with this. I'm aware of it. Yeah, I'm trying about two things, but there's one thing I wanted to... To say, you know, like when I talk about, you know, how, how much food we need to produce to feed the world, one thing I didn't know until I uh, joined IATA was that the majority of the people that go to bed hungry every single night are smallholder farmers. So, and, and that to me is such a crazy fact, you know, that farmers that are the other ones producing food. To feed the world are the the majority of those that go to bed hungry. So obviously, this is mostly smallholder farmers and you know don't have access to input and and to the means they need to be able to produce at a larger scale and and, and have, you know, and, and make a living out of that. So like farmers in many places like in Africa, those challenges that we described with the farmer in Brazil. Uh, growing coffee, they are going through the same challenges, but the difference is that when they lose a harvest, that means they don't have food, and that is the difference between them being, you know, like subsistence farmers to going below the poverty line.
0: Yeah.
1: So last year, when when COVID hit, as I said, we worked with the uh, World Food Program. And, and our CEO in a conversation with uh, David Beasley, who is the head of the World Food Program, asked, you oh, know, is there anything we can do? And and Beasley said, well, you need to get your product to the farmers uh, in Africa. So we we donated forty thousand tons of fertilizer to farmers in specific regions in, in in Africa where we have operations and that where we have network and. What was amazing about that was that it, was just, it wasn't just the fertilizer donation. We we wanted to make sure that we could uh, secure that the farmer that was entitled to receive that fertilizer received that fertilizer and that yes. none of the bags got you know lost in the black market or anything. So for the first time, we managed to track the fertilizer from our plant in Norway all the way to the farmer in Africa. Really? And... And that, as far as we know, nobody has ever ma- managed to do that before. And this has, uh, th- this is really good for everything we're trying to do, because it means now that we have a technology that enables others to also, if we can track the fertilizer, it has all sorts of consequences for the food value chain. It means, you know, suddenly you can have more visibility on the CO2 emissions and the ways that a, a certain product was produced and so on. But so so, so that was that. And through that, we also managed to connect because we needed a way to identify the farmers and deliver that fertilizer to the farmers. So we worked with our retailers and the World Food Program and their uh, partners on the ground. And we developed this digital platform. And through that digital platform, we could connect to 2 million smallholder farmers. So those smallholder farmers, they can get agronomic knowledge in that digital platform, so they learn what's the best way to use the fertilizer they, they received. And we've been following some of those uh, farmers, and you know some of them have doubled or tripled their, their harvest wow. this year. Wow. And we estimate that this has helped uh, feed about one million people for a year in africa wow it's a good story to end on i really really enjoyed this conversation and i
0: really appreciate your time and thank you for what you're doing and
1: keep getting that message out oh no well thank you you know like it's I, as i told you, i'm so honored to be here talking to you philip and i'm the biggest fan of the work you do i think what you're doing with Thai is just so amazing and how you have pivoted as well the middle of the pandemic, I know we've talked so many times. You know how we can scale this up, how does we make this business model? And then suddenly hits the pandemic, and there is a silver lining on all that is yeah. that you know you. that that happened, and it's so inspiring, it's so important. So it's really an honor to be here talking to you. And thanks for, for also, you know, landing your platform to tell these stories. Thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you you so much. And we will connect again very soon. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Philippa again. I hope you enjoyed listening. Now this is your chance to get involved with Thai. If you work in the commercial world, whatever your profession, your position, or your experience, then Thai could be for you. You may have been in business for decades, but have always felt there's another way. Or you may just have a few years experience, but want to do more equally. If you want to create game-changing employees and see your company impact the world, we've got you covered. Thai has never been more necessary than right now, and you can be a part of it. Reach out to me at philippa at theinternationalexchange.co.uk and I can tell you more. Or join the Thai Accelerator info session for more information. apply.tieaccelerator.com Better leaders, better companies, better world. I'm your host, Philippa White. This podcast has been co-produced by Berna Vieira and me, music by Berna Vieira, and artwork by Kelps Vahais. I hope we'll meet again soon.